Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Right there, right there. Up. This is the game. Yeah. It's a uh, cat and mouse. Smoked a turkey. <laughs> yes. He is down. He is freaking down. Said he shot an absolute giant. Fall obsession, baby. Welcome back, everybody, to another Fall Obsession podcast episode. I am Sam Thrash with Fall Obsession, and I'll be your host for this week's podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in to another week. If you're a new listener and haven't checked out our uh, podcast yet or any of our previous episodes, including our last three weeks with our friends Chance and Brody Aiken, I encourage you guys to go do that. Um, We do our best to bring you an authentic, down-to-earth hunting and outdoor podcast here, and our recent episodes have been no exception. So if you guys are a new listener, please go check those out. And for this week, I am with a first-timer on our podcast, one of our very own field staffers, Miss Kim Sullivan. Kim, welcome to Fall Obsession Podcast. Thank you so much. It's awesome to have you on here and looking forward to, to talking with you about some, some hunting up there in the state of Virginia. Yes, I'm excited. Awesome. Well, before we get started, quick shout-out to our friends over at Cinnamon Creek Archery. If you guys are in the North Texas area, you need to go check out Cinnamon Creek. They have an archery pro shop, multiple indoor and outdoor ranges, a wild game processor, and an event center. Um, really help us help us out down here a lot. Um, so if you guys are in the North Texas area or passing through, be sure you go check them out um, and follow them on social media and check them out at cinnamoncreek.com. Well, Kim, this is your first time on our podcast. Again, welcome. Um, but to kind of get us started introduce yourself and kind of give folks an idea on on where you're from and uh, kind of where you where you typically find yourself hunting I don't want you to give up all your secrets but um, <laughs> just kind of kind of give a, give a little background on yourself okay yep uh, obviously my name's Kim Sullivan and I was born and raised in Fredericksburg Virginia for those of you who haven't heard of Fredericksburg it's close to northern Virginia but it's not northern Virginia. Um, and so that's where I started all of my hunting, 
but I just recently moved to Franklin County, Virginia. And the past four or five years, um, I've been consistently hunting here in this area. And hunting in this area has, um, I think, is a lot better. And I've really, really focused on the still hunting aspect in this area as well. So I would say I've been hunting since I was about 15, um, but really focused in on it when probably about 25. And I'm 31 now, so if that tells you anything. Gotcha. So focusing on on the still hunting, tell us a little bit more about what that, specifically what that means for you in your area. What- yep. So I used to um, hunt with a hunt club with dogs. We used to run dogs, but I no longer do that. And um, the still hunting aspect, a lot that goes into still hunting is um, food plotting we are where we live. We're not allowed to hunt over bait here. Um, so still hunting basically is, you know, you just go out in the woods, you climb, you are getting your tree stands, um, and you just kind of sit and wait and see what's happening in the woods. Um, but with us, our main focus is the food plotting aspect. And ever since I started still hunting and hunting with food plots, the amount of deer and activity that I've seen in the woods is crazy to me. And it's just something that I never experienced um, in dog hunting or hunting where I used to live. Um, And I just see so much more in their natural habitat, you know, the deer movement, um, what they're coming out to eat, how they interact with each other. And then obviously the rut, it's so incredible to see what happens during the rut. Um, So those are just like the main points that I do get out of still hunting and where we live, we do a lot of um, property management as far as the deer that we kill and the bucks that we kill. Um, And we focus in a lot on that and we're lucky to have properties that we can do that and people that we hunt with that do the same. So. Gotcha. How much, how much land do you typically have access to? So our two, we have two main properties that are about 150 acres each, which is not a lot. Um, but when it's just basically on one property, it's basically two people, myself and my boyfriend that hunt. And then our second property is right around where we live. We can walk out the back door and hunt, awesome. which is amazing. Um, and there's about four people that consistently hunt this property. So not a lot at all. Um, and we all try to do the same, you know, buck management style hunting. So that helps. And I, I feel like the people that we hunt with are very um, consistent with kind of how we hunt as well. That That is huge because I, and I have, that's a pet peeve of mine down here too in Texas, you know, it's one thing to have a property that you're management minded on or kill a mature deer off of, but when the neighboring properties don't share those same goals, it, it makes it very difficult. So the fact that you yeah. have that going is that, that's awesome. Yeah. And we do have, you know, some properties that are fairly close to us um, where we, they're farms and we, I know some of the farmers have kill permits, which is tough on us. Um, but you know, you, you have to do what you can and you have to take that chance as far as managing um, you know, who knows the neighbor might kill a buck that you let go, which we've had that happen plenty of times before. And it's frustrating, but you don't, I mean, the deer don't get the chance from us, at least if we, 
if we shoot them. Right, exactly. So just a little bit more on, on your property and, and your land management. Um, what what kind of food plots do you guys typically typically try to run? And give me an idea on what you look for in your area for what you look for in a mature deer in your area. Okay. Um, so basically our food plots, I feel like we work on food plots year round. Um, but most of the work is in the summertime and I'm lucky because I'm a teacher. So I'm off in the summertime. So I have all the time in the world to do that. And, um, it's a lot of work, but, um, we basically, most of our food plots are clover. Um, we have some clover brassica mix where we're doing the turnips, the radishes, the rapeseed and all of that. Some are just clover and then we mix them and then some are just, um, or whatever we try to mix it up a little bit around here we did a little bit of corn too this year um but we see a lot with the clover and the turnips and the radishes um and this year we were hurt a little bit with movement into our food plots because the acorn crop was so plentiful the deer just were not moving early season um we're starting to see a lot more movement now though into the food plots and um, so those those are our main. And as far as a mature buck um, around here, we try to strive for them to get four or five years old. You know, there's deer that have been taken at three um, because they're just incredible bucks. But we try to get them to at least four or five. And we pay attention to body size, not just, you know, rack size, right. because we have year old deer around here whose racks are awesome but you can tell they're young and we you know we try to let them go um so we pay attention to the mass of the racks as well and then we just really really try to pay attention to that age because we do a lot of um game trail cameras here and we do a lot of studying the deer and the pictures all summer long and during season and after season and we have you know folders that we pay attention to each year and we're like, Oh, this deer made it through. And, you know, we try to let them age as much as we can. So it's not just about the size of the rack. You know, we try to try to get them to at least four or five. Do your neighbors coordinate with you on what deer made it through or they just kind of keep it to themselves and just try to shoot mature deer? Um, usually we, (laughs) usually we hear what they kill. (laughs) They don't necessarily, we don't necessarily coordinate with each other because the neighbors on our property, the people that hunt on our property, we coordinate big time with each other. And, you know, we try to say this is a shooter buck at the beginning of the year. This is not. And everybody's pretty much on the same page, I would say, with that. But the people who hunt next to us, not so much. And and I think this year was a really frustrating year for us um, as far as that goes. Like we've had a, a lot of three-year-old deer who were nice nice deer and we let them go early on in the season and and they did get killed and uh it's it's tough but like i said if you don't give them the chance you know then what are you looking for so yeah we can't just shoot them just because the neighbor might shoot them you know Uh, so it's it's tough um because we don't have a thousand acres uh but we do what we can we do what we can for sure absolutely so I'll, I'll kind of direct this a little bit into a, a main topic of, of our discussion today because you did kill a pretty awesome buck this year. Yes, I um, did. Yeah. So I know that was on our social media pages uh, uh, a couple months back. 
Um, and obviously it'll probably be posted with this episode, but let's, let's start heading into that story a little bit. Tell us about, I guess, kind of set the stage with telling us if you saw that deer before you shot him or, or kind of leading into it if you knew he was in that area. Yeah. So, um, he was a deer that we know and we knew he was at least five years old. He's been around on this farm for a while and he's, um, he was a seven pointer and it was my first buck or my first bow kill. And, um, we, he's been a seven pointer since he was probably about two years old. Oh, wow. And each year we've seen him grow, but he has, he's never grown another point. He's just gotten, um, more mass, more width and a little bit more time length. And this year we classified him as a shooter. And, uh, one of the main reasons why was his next to another buck his body size just dwarfed the other bucks around here on this farm and we kind of thought he might be a little bit of a bully um as far as his rut activity went and we thought that he might be pushing some of our good bucks out so um we considered him a shooter this year and um we saw him a lot on camera early season um, and he was kind of running around with an eight-pointer who was a three-year-old eight-pointer, had a bigger frame than the seven-pointer, but because he was younger, we decided that he we were not going to shoot him. Unfortunately, he did get killed by our neighbors this year. But oh, man. Um, but the day that I hunted um, my seven-pointer, I, I think it was October 28th, and it was like 70 degrees. So I did not expect to see this buck at all moving um, during daylight hours. And I went into a spot where it's always been a great spot to climb. And I took my climber in and I climbed. And it's about 30 yards inside of one of our uh, main food plots. And then another 15 yards is um, a bunch of white oak trees that have a lot of acorns. And I knew that they were kind of using that area for acorns early in the season and I guess it was about five o'clock and I, I hadn't seen a deer at all. And then um, I hit my grunt call just to, you know, just to see. I don't know if it was coincidence or not, but within like a couple minutes, I heard a grunt through the woods and I was like, did I just hear that? <laughs> and and sure enough, um, I saw a doe running towards me. So I went ahead and stood up and got ready in my stand and I was looking through my binoculars and I could see a nice buck coming through the pines towards me. And then two other does came towards me and, um, and it sure enough, it was, it was him and he was grunting like crazy and chasing these doe in. And I was already stood up and I actually started filming on my phone because I did not think that he was a shooter and then when he got about 40 yards to me, I was like, oh, my gosh. So I put my phone in my pocket really quick. And the uh, the does scattered, and two went the complete opposite direction. And then one, it was so picture perfect. Um, she walked 15 yards broadside to my left, and he followed her in. And, you know, I made a noise and, and had him stop and I shot him. My arrow penetrated all the way through and he died within 80 yards or so, I would say. Wow. So when I say picture perfect, it was just 
it was that, you know, it just happened so perfect. It could have, like, he could have followed a different doe completely the opposite direction, but just the one doe that he followed and, and, um, he, she led him right to me. So it was a pretty easy shot, but, um, I was so nervous. <laughs> I get so nervous still to this day. Anytime I see any kind of deer in the woods, I get so nervous, but I try to, you know, talk myself through the whole process and, and slow myself down and, and make sure, you know, I had the right, um, everything. And, um, I don't know. It was, it was awesome. I mean, it was, it, it's such an accomplishment. Bow hunting is such a challenge and, you know, I've been doing it for years, but I've just never had that opportunity on a nice buck like that. And just to finally be successful in that challenge, it was awesome. It was so awesome. I was going to ask, cause you mentioned at the beginning that it was uh, your, your first buck with a bow or your first bow kill period. My first buck with a bow, my second bow kill. Okay. So that, that was going to be my question. Cause it, with you saying that you're you're relatively newer to bow hunting it it sounds like so yeah um i was and you kind of already hit a little bit but that that experience you know and and the rush if you will when uh, when you bow hunt it it, it's pretty awesome yeah your adrenaline's crazy absolutely bow hunting can be frustrating i mean obviously everyone knows if you are bow hunting if you're a bow hunter it's frustrating because there's a lot that you see that you just, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen because they're so far away or it just happens too quick, you know? Um, but I think that's why people fall in love with bow hunting because it it is such a challenge. And, and when you become successful at it, you know, you're addicted immediately. So, yep. I agree. 100% same experience here for sure. Yeah. But so when you walked up on, on this book, was he, because before, you know, you said you've been watching him for several years, watching him grow. When you walk up and got your hands on him, was he what you thought he was? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was, you know, a lot wider than I than I thought he was, a lot heavier at the bases. And um, and just to take, take a buck like that with my bow, bow, it was just, it was incredible, you know. Uh, yeah. I was happy. I cry all the time. <laughs> I'm so nervous. I get so worked up, but it was it was great awesome very cool did did you score him or no i haven't scored him yet um he's at the taxidermist right now so gotcha yeah i normally ask that not not because in my opinion score matters or anything like that more than anything else because in my mind personally it's not about the inches you know it's about a mature deer and the experience but I, I typically ask that question on this podcast so that guys can get an idea, a little bit better idea for our listeners on, you know, the scale of the deer that we're mm-hmm. talking. So, um, yeah, I'll get back to you on that one, but we haven't scored them yet. So awesome. I would, that's, I'm, I'm making a point to make sure I do that. And a lot of the times I like to take mine to the game shows and, you know, and get them scored and, and enter them and, and all that. So very cool. So yeah. what's the, what's the biggest deer that you've taken off that place or your biggest deer? Biggest year uh, to date. An 11 pointer. A six year old 11 pointer. Wow. Uh, with a rifle. And this happened in, I think, 2016 or 17. I think it's 16, 2016. Um, he, he wasn't very wide, but he was so palmated and so heavy. Um, just an amazing deer. I mean, I can, I, I can send in a picture of that or I have it right here on the wall. If you want to see it. Oh yeah. Awesome. 
Hold on. Where is that word there? Very cool. Yeah. So just a beautiful deer and one of those deer that um, we had a lot of history with. And we actually have his sheds at uh, two, three, and four years old. So Very it's cool. really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, there, there's something, too, with, with having a history with a deer. You know, mm-hmm. that obviously makes it a lot more rewarding, as, as it, you very well know. <laughs> it does, especially when you watch them and, um, you know, you watch them grow and you watch it even, even after a year, how much they grow within a year sometimes is crazy to me. But it's, you get attached to all of it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Spend so much time doing it, so. Absolutely. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, um, kind of backing up a little bit back to your land management, your whitetail management that you guys do. Um, and I guess what we'll talk about is maintaining it from year to year because, you know, I, I know it goes in cycles. I know food plots go in cycles and seasons and stuff like that. So what all goes into, making this an every year thing, making a, a hunt like this, a buck like this coming out in front of you, something that, that you look forward to and can anticipate every year? Well, time. Yeah. Time is number one thing. Um, like I said, I'm blessed to be a teacher and have the summer off and be able to pretty much spend all of my summer doing the food plot stuff. And it's not just me. My boyfriend does a ton of it, and he's taught me so much over the years. But um, we don't even have a tractor. We have a four-wheeler, and we do all of our food plotting with four-wheelers and pull-behinds. You know, we have a pull-behind bush hog, a disc, all of that, um, which in some cases is, is awesome because it's hard to get in certain places with tractors or big equipment. Um, but then in other other cases, it's tough because we have huge, a lot of big fields that it just takes double the amount of time. But we get it done, and... Um, I would say hunting for us is a hundred percent our lifestyle. And so we're not, we're not hurting ourselves by dedicating that much time to hunting and to preseason. Um, it's something that we love to do. It's a hundred percent our passion. And I feel like it's, it's so worth it in the end. You know, um, we, there's very few days that we miss hunting. Um, we try to make it, it, to us, it is our life, you know, and, and I know that there's a lot of people that don't have as much time that they can invest into it. But I think if you try and, and really, really, really put the time in preseason, you're going to see so much more during the season and it's going to be so worth it. Like before I came here and before I was still hunting and focusing on that and focusing on food plotting, I did not see the amount anywhere near the amount of deer that I see now. And I feel like maintaining over the years doesn't just mean that you kill a big buck, you know, each year. I think it's, I think it's uh, the amount of stuff that you actually get to see and enjoy while you're out there in the outdoors. The same, you know, like just sitting out there and seeing deer move into the food plot that you worked on all summer long. I think that's successful in itself, if that makes sense. So time is the number one thing. Um, it's expensive for sure. It's an expensive hobby, but when you love it and when you invest so much time into it, like I said earlier, it's worth it. Um, 
So time, dedicating all of your time, your money to it, and making sure that you put yourself out there during season to actually see the outcome of what you did all preseason long. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. There's there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go into into making something like this happen. And like you said, being successful year to year, even if you don't kill a big buck. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's there's times during the summer when I want to go on a vacation and not do any of this food plot work over here. But it's like, you know, you. I mean, just the amount of growth during the summertime, it's so hard to even walk away from it for a week. You come back and you're just swamped with work. Um, but it's worth it. Like I said, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kim, awesome story and, and really cool how you guys have been – have been doing your own property management and, and like this year or like that big, big 11 point that you've had, you know, been able to reap the benefits of that and all y'all's hard work. That's, that's really cool. Really awesome. Thank you. So, um, I know we're on the, the shorter end of our time, but we got some, we got some additional questions that we ask all newcomers on our podcast, um, before we cut you loose. So if you're good, we'll, we'll walk through those. Absolutely. All right. First one is, what is your favorite hunting memory and why? So, as far as hunting memories, there's a ton. You know, you think about, first thing that comes to mind, you think about the biggest buck you've killed. Um, I think about the one that I killed with my bow this year. But um, I would probably have to say my favorite hunting memory um, happened last year. I was back in Fredericksburg where I'm from and my parents have a little bit of property uh, at home not much at all and there's a big piece of property that backs up to their property and I got permission from a landowner this was late in the season it was a muzzleloader season Um, so I think it was like November early November and got permission from the landowner to hunt the property and um, I am was a high school PE teacher, and I coached f- a fall sport, field hockey. So that took up a lot of my hunting time. And there were evenings when I had like an hour left of daylight. But I made a point to go to this property, um, even with that hour. And I got onto the property. The first few days, I was more or less just scouting, just trying to see what I could see, see the best places to get in quickly. Um, And I ended up finding um, a lot of fresh rubs and fresh scrapes and rubs where you knew it was not just a small buck. (laughs) And I um, hunted religiously for about 10 days after that in that area. And a lot... A lot of the mornings I couldn't hunt because I was working until the weekend. Um, but I made a point to hunt just about every evening. And I was seeing zero deer. Mm. And, you know, there's there's times when I'm like, okay, I'm, I don't want hunt to hunt this property anymore. I'm not seeing anything. This is not fun. I don't know what's going on. But I made myself keep going, keep going, keep going. And um, one morning I got up. And I went there and I passed on a smaller buck um, that morning. He came right towards me and made a scrape on the ground, you know, 30 yards from me. 
And I was like, no, I know that's not the buck that's making the rubs. And then um, this big mature seven-pointer. I don't know what it is about me and seven-pointers. I've been seven-pointer the last three years. Um, but this big mature seven-pointer who I had no idea who this deer was, he um, walked in and gave me a 40-yard shot with my muzzleloader. And, um, you know, all the smoke that blows after the muzzleloader, I could not see anything. The smoke cleared and he was gone. And I was like, oh, gosh. And I was like, did I rush my shot? You know, I was second guessing myself. So I went ahead and loaded my gun again. I got down out of my climber and I walked um, towards where I shot him and I could not find any blood. <laughs> and so I immediately started crying and I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I just I just messed up, you know. Um, but I was like, let me keep walking. And I found him before I found any blood, wow. which is crazy to me. But, um, you know, sometimes that happens. And it was just one of those hunts that I felt like just very accomplished because, um, you know, over the last like five or six years, I've been taught a lot and I've learned a lot on my own. But to actually go out and do it on your own and, you know, to kind of just go to a property, make sure you get permission, um, you know, just find the best spot of the property, find the sign, and then be successful at the end of it. It was just probably one of my favorite memories, I would say. And also a great part of that was um, my dad and mom actually texted me. They heard my shot from the house, and they were like, was that you? And I was like, yeah, that was me. And so my dad came and helped me, and it was just cool to be around my dad and, and have that happen. So That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool that family got to be a part of it with you, and yeah, that's an awesome story. Awesome. Always the best. Absolutely. All right. Second question. What is a bucket list hunt or hunts, if you want to, that – you have not gotten to go on yet? Well, um, I haven't really gone on any hunts other than, you know, our area. Um, I haven't hunted anywhere outside of Virginia. So a bucket list, a huge bucket list hunt for me is I do want to go on an elk hunt, but I have no idea where yet. Um, you know, I've done a little bit of research and it's tough because, you know, hunting trips are so expensive, just like everything else. But eventually I'm going to make sure that I make it a point on one of those. Um, I also definitely want to hunt a mule deer as well. I think they're just amazing animals, you know. So um, those are my bucket list hunts. And I'm probably going to have to buy a bigger house if I <laughs> If I do uh, kill one of those animals, because I don't know where I'm going to put it, but um, we'll figure that out when it when it gets there, I guess. Um, just just hunting outside of Virginia. I, I haven't had the chance to do that yet. So I'm I'm definitely hoping to do that maybe within the next five years. Absolutely. Yeah. Hunting out of your home state or the state where you've done most of your hunting over the years is uh, it's very rewarding. Um, I, I've hunted Texas really until just the past couple of years. I started venturing out and, and going on some other trips and it, it's different. It's challenging and it's a whole new animal and, and it's awesome. Yeah. I, I recommend it to anybody. Yeah. I'm, and I'm not big, uh, I'm not a big traveler. I don't really like flying. I don't really like going to the airports, not because I'm scared of flying. It's just, I'm homebody. I don't like being around a lot of people. Um, but 
I know there's places where I can drive and that would probably be easier, especially because you're taking your weapons and guns and all that. So that's a pain at the airport, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I'm going to do it eventually. Absolutely. I'm, I, I've driven everywhere I've gone so far. I, I'm not scared of flying, but I'm scared of losing my bow. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in these times right now. Who knows? <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. All right. So third and final question, um, because we've talked a lot about y'all doing your own property management and whitetail management and all that. What's What's some advice that you have for others out there who are also trying to manage their own properties or um kind of hunt, hunting the the long-term game you know hunting hunting the same deer every year that, that type of thing yep well um i would say you know you have to start somewhere and a lot of people who haven't done the food plot game yet um, especially if you're in an area where you cannot hunt over bait, um, I would suggest to try to start the food plot stuff, even if you have very small areas. I think that you'll be surprised at how certain food plots, um, if if they're growing properly, how certain food plots will pull deer. And um, I think you'll be surprised at how many deer you see compared to when you weren't doing food plots. Um, so just start. Just start from from somewhere, you know, um, even if it's just one small food plot, just make it a habit and make it a habit to do it every single year, um, to pay attention to it. So food plotting is huge. Um, I would say studying, studying your deer, studying your property. We spend a lot of the time, um, preseason and postseason studying all of that. And just being familiar with the bucks that you do have on your property might help you allow or let a few of the smaller um, deer walk. And with that, I would say patience is the number one thing that you have to have with hunting. I know a lot of people don't really care to hunt for the horns or for, you know, any of that, which is fine. You know, if you want to meet hunt, it's still a cool experience. But if you are trying to hunt for mature deer and big bucks, I would say patience is your number one friend. Um, allow those smaller young eight pointers to walk. I still get excited when I see them and it's still sometimes hard for me to pass on them, but you never know what might be trailing, you know, that buck or what might come later on in the evening if you do allow a smaller buck to pass. So patience, um, studying, when I say studying, you know, pay attention to the deer that you have this year compared to what they turn into next year. It's crazy how deer can grow in one year. And I think if you start the studying process of, you know, paying attention to this deer and how it grows to next year. And when you actually see that it's, it might help you, you know, start managing a little bit better and allow more of the younger deer to just walk through. Um, and then I would say as far as, managing and being successful on your property um scent control is huge especially you know if you are still hunting um we focus so much on scent control um some you know people might say that we go over the top with our scent control but i don't think so um i never really realized how good deer can smell until i started this whole still hunting thing and um, it's crazy, but we, um, we go 
so far as um, to, you know, during right before hunting season starts, um, we no longer use any of the scented um, detergents in our washer or dryer. Um, we use unscented stuff all season long, even like our regular clothes. Uh, and we use all of the dead down wind products um, for our, you know, when we wash our clothes, we wash our hunting clothes, we dry our hunting clothes. Um, in those products, you know, we shower in the dead down wind, the scent off stuff. Um, we wash our towels that we shower with in the scent control stuff. Um, we have one vehicle that we designate for the most part for hunting season, um, where we do not use that vehicle to go anywhere else. So we try to keep all of the scent out of that vehicle as much as we can. Um, we both, we all have our Ozonics, um, machines. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with those or not, um, but, you know, they screw into the tree and they cover your scent. And, I mean, I, I think that product is amazing. Um, we have our scent control bags, our chambers that we put our um, hunting clothes in after our hunts. And we run um, scent control after we hunt in those. I mean, we just, there's so much that we do as far as scent control goes and so much that we pay attention to, you know, like as simple as putting the windows down in our truck and backing up. Um, and allowing that exhaust to come into your truck. Like that's the stuff that we try to be very mindful of, um, you know, and it's just, it's just crazy how much deer can smell and um, just being a little bit, I guess, over the top, you would say with your scent control. Um, I think you're going to see that work wonders because there's so much that I see now as far as like deer walking right underneath of me and not smelling me. And I just think, I, I think that's incredible. I think it's incredible, incredible to be in the woods and just allow those animals to just, just walk under you and have no idea. So scent control is huge. If you haven't tried it, you should definitely try it <laughs> and just changes your game. Um, you know, and I think just, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, just really paying attention to everything that every little detail that you're doing preseason, during the season and postseason when it comes to your hunting and your management. And I think that um, I think, you know, if you pay attention to every little detail, you're going to see so much more in the woods than you're used to. Absolutely. It is. And, and you saying it brings it to the front of my mind, but it is one of the most rewarding feelings ever to have a deer walk right underneath you and, and have no <laughs> idea that you're there. It, it's something yeah. that simple is just the most rewarding feeling. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a lot of people who don't hunt, um, ha I guess, you know, I always get questions all the time. Like, how can you just go out there and sit in the woods for hours by yourself? And I'm like, have you done it? You know, yep. until you do it, you will not understand it. But it's just so peaceful, so rewarding, like you just said. Um, I, I mean, I couldn't describe any other better place to be for the relaxing, for the passion, for, you know, all of it. I think it's I think it's just an amazing place to be, especially when you work so hard on it and you invest so much time. Um, it's not it's not about it's not always about killing a big buck. It's just about being out there and it's, it's incredible. And people, until people get out there and experience it themselves, they're not going to understand. 100% agree. Couldn't have said it better. Well, Kim, I really appreciate you coming on, 
the podcast for this week's episode. Uh, join us, sharing your story. Not not just the story of your deer, but also a, a lot of information about um, what y'all do on your property and, and growing big whitetails. Really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Hopefully I didn't ramble on too much. And hopefully <laughs> people learn from me, you know. That's all I can do. Absolutely. And uh, and good luck to the rest of the rest of the season for you um i know by when this episode comes out you know seasons probably are going to be wrapping up but um at the time of recording here you told me earlier today that you got a or you were hunting just before we recorded actually i'm looking for another big buck that you got out there so good luck in that that adventure thank you so much yep we have a couple weeks left and um still have a couple mature bucks on camera that we're looking for and um we'll see how it goes we hope that we have luck um, but you know, the season's already been incredible for me. So however it ends, I'm going to be happy and, um, hope you guys have some luck yourselves. Thank you. Yeah. You, you as well. If you get that big one, we'll have to do a follow-up. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know it. <laughs> All right. Well guys, we appreciate y'all, t- uh, tune in for another week's episode. Um, if you guys have not already hit that fall and subscribe button on your favorite podcast app, um, we're on all major pod- podcast platforms, so wherever you guys listen, um, we will be there. So if you haven't checked out any of our previous week's episodes, if you're a new listener, I encourage you to do so. You can jump in whenever, wherever, doesn't matter. Um, but like I said at the beginning, we have a lot of awesome content on there for you guys. So be sure to check it out. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We put out new videos on a weekly basis. And uh, fallobsession.com, our website, that is the hub. That's where you guys can go for all of our hunting and outdoor content that we produce. It's all right there for you. Um, We also have our own apparel line of outdoor wear for the everyday hunter and outdoorsman. So be sure that you check that out. We got some new designs on there. And uh, if you guys have any questions, topic suggestions, or um, would just like to provide some general feedback on our podcast, you can do that at fallobsession.com slash podcast. Kim, thank you again. Really appreciate you coming on this week. Thank you. Take care. All right, you too. Thank you guys for listening. We will catch you next week for another Fall Obsession podcast episode.